Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world, whatever time it is when you're tuning in. Thank you for joining me uh, for this next chapter of the Brahma Viharas. Uh, Brahma Vihara is a Sanskrit term or a Pali term, which English uh, is meaning the home of the gods or the dwelling of the gods. Brahma, uh, the Hindu god of creation, Vihara, the word for temple or home or house, abode, like that. So Brahma Vihara, the dwelling of the gods. Uh, and so in those traditions, uh, Buddhism in particular, uh, and Hinduism as well, Jainism, uh, they considered these four emotional states, these four emotionalities, to be uh, so profound and so uh, such a, uh, an enlightened state that these were actually the, where the gods hung out. This is their abode. And those four qualities, loving kindness, compassion, equanimity, and joy. And so I start today on the chapter on equanimity. Now, you, you don't have to have done the previous chapters. I, I started uh, the series with uh, loving kindness, and then I moved into compassion. And uh, now I'm entering into the chapter on joy. Oh, I'm sorry, on equanimity. Uh, but you don't have to have done the previous chapters. Uh, no worries there. Uh, each of these sessions stands alone. Uh, you can join today get benefit from that and then uh, come again maybe in a week or two wherever you feel comfortable. Now if you want to see the previous episodes available on my website www.suchsweetthunder.org or you can actually see them all on YouTube as well if you just search Chris Luard under YouTube or Chris Luard Meditation. All of this uh, Brahma Vihara series uh, they're all posted there as well. So equanimity. And I often get the question, well, what is equanimity? It's, you know, kind of an unfamiliar word, perhaps to many. Um, sometimes people see it as being uh, in a state of non-judgment. And that's kind of true. But it's really about... Uh, um, seeing the world as it presents itself. See, we often experience the world seen through the lenses of our upbringing, of our social conditioning, of our education, of our uh, influences our, our, as we grow up, as we age, from a young child and in, into the present moment. Uh, we're constantly tweaking and, and fiddling with our view of the world. And then we see the world through those lenses. Equanimity is the practice of, well, uh, cleaning those lenses, so to speak, so that we gradually uh, begin to see the world as it's given to us uh, before or prior to our likes, our dislikes, our preferences, our prejudices, and so forth. There's a great phrase in the Zen tradition, often quoted, 
Uh, when a cold monk meditates, a meditating monk is cold. Now that seems over-obvious, right, in a way, but it, and it is. But it's used as a way of cutting through our lenses, cutting through the uh, filter that we cast over the world habitually. When we go out into the cold air, and we shiver against the cold and we say, oh, this is not good, I don't like this, or I hope I can get a heavier coat or whatever. They're suffering there. We're struggling against the present moment. And whenever we struggle against the present moment, they're suffering. Equanimity allows us to feel that cold. Okay, cold, it's just another sensation on the skin. It might get into the bones or muscles, depending on how really frigidly cold it is. I'll get inside as soon as I can and warm up my bones. But be between here and there, when a cold person walks, a walking person is cold. We can't do much about that. So accepting the present moment as it is. That's really the practice of equanimity. Because when we experience life against the filter of our beliefs, our preferences, our prejudices, we are experiencing our life against what we think our life should be. We're in our experience and resisting it at the same time. And so when we're in that state, we're, we're, we no longer have to see the things we experience as they are. We experience them, we see them uh, as they are filtered through how we think sh things should be, filtered through our desires for what the present moment ought to be. And whenever we have that experience, and it happens a lot to all of us, uh, there's a tension there. There's a resistance. And so these practices, uh, the way they're structured, at least the first few practices of equanimity uh, that I'll be offering, they're specifically designed to allow the practitioner to experience those resistances. And if you've done any of the previous episodes with me before, the episodes on loving kindness, on compassion, uh, you might have experienced those resistances before. Likely, if you did the practices, hopefully, you experienced a bit of resistance. Now, the, because the practices are designed to bring up those resistances. Now, what often happens here, and again, you may, might have noticed this, is we come to meditate, and let's say you've done a loving-kindness meditation, and you bring up uh, these phrases of loving-kindness into your heart, or moving forward, we'll do the equanimity practice, we'll bring up these phrases of equanimity into our own heart, and there might be a resistance there, and suddenly we think we're doing it wrong, or we're doing the practice wrong, or that something should be different. Ironically, that's showing us a resistance to equanimity in itself. In that moment, we're not accepting 
what is. We've created a model in our mind of what we think should be. And then we're trying to force ourselves into that model. And so the idea here is if we recognize a resistance that comes up in the practice, if we feel a resistance, uh, for example, we don't want to see things how they are. We want them to be a certain way. Very prevalent, especially in the current world crisis, right? How can we accept this? How can we see this as it is without wanting it to be different? And so when that resistance comes up, we don't try to change that resistance. We don't try to change how we feel. We just rest in the experience of resisting. Because again, if we try to change that, we try to shift it, we're no longer practicing equanimity, right? We're trying to push ourselves into being something we're not, rather than opening and accepting to what we are right now in the present moment. And that's interesting. That's where we see the connection between the practices of equanimity and the practices of compassion, right? Because compassion, we gradually learn to accept ourselves as we are. That's compassion. So equanimity challenges that. In equanimity, we're developing the capacity to see things as they are without trying to change them in relationship to our preferences and prejudices. And when that can't happen or when the resistance comes, we open to that resistance with compassion. So it's not that we've moved from loving kindness to compassion to equanimity, although it sometimes might feel that way, the way the practices are uh, designed and laid out. Uh, but we move through the practices, and as we move from loving kindness to compassion and then to equanimity, you'll notice the other practices that we've done resonate with that. There's a resonation there. And so the same way if you play a stringed instrument and you bow a violin here on, maybe you bow an A on the violin, the other notes will resonate with that more or less. The other A's will definitely resonate with it. And some other notes might resonate too. And, and the other instruments nearby will resonate with it. And so here we're bowing the quality of equanimity and the, the similar notes of loving kindness and compassion begin to resonate with that, that bowing quality. So as we notice the resistance that arises to the equanimity phrases, uh, again, not trying to change that resistance, but resting in the experience of resistance. And so simply allowing the resistance to be there. Now this is tricky because who doesn't want to feel more equanimous, more loving, more joyful? more compassionate, right? These are qualities that if we're on this path of 
meditation we generally aspire to, right? So it's natural to go into a compassion practice or an equanimity practice or a loving kindness practice. And we're there to cultivate these qualities, but then we feel a resistance. It's natural to want to try to shift that resistance. So we have to try to circumvent that. And so anytime you feel like you're pushing in the practice, come back to the breath, come back to the body, come back to the present moment sounds of the experience, and then move back into the meditation like that. So resting with the experience of resisting to whatever the phrases bring up. Now, as we do that, eventually, this might take, could be days, weeks, months, years, lifetimes, doesn't matter how long, but eventually that resistance will start to dissolve, will start to break down, just by resting with it, just by seeing it. And once that starts to happen, because those resistances require our energy to hold in place, like we've put up a shield and we're holding a shield. But the thing is, is that we've held that shield up for so long, it's a part of uh, the way we see the world, those shields, those defense mechanisms. Because they've been in place so long, we've forgotten that we're using effort to hold them up. It just seems like the natural course of things. It seems like the way the world is. Now, as a result of resting in these resistances, as a result of seeing our condition, we start to recognize that those shields, that those layers of protection, those lenses that keep us from seeing the world as it really arises, we recognize we're holding that in place. And we start to drop that. We start to let the shields down. That gives us an abundance of energy because it took energy to hold all of that in place. Those shields dissolve and the energy that we use to hold those shields in place now becomes available for our meditation practice, for our life, for our yoga practice, for insight, for compassion, for joy, for laughter, for happiness. We start to recognize that we, those shields, those lenses that filter that keep us experiencing the world as it arises, that keep us locked into our worldview of preference and prejudice, those defenses, those shields may have served us once upon a time, probably many years ago. And they may have served us for some time, for years perhaps, kept us safe, kept us protected, kept us warm, kept us sheltered. We can now recognize that we don't need to do that any longer. That those resistances are actually a part of an outdated worldview. Because actually the energy that we use to keep those resistances in place, once we begin to use the, that energy for insight, 
for happiness, for joy, for equanimity. Though the, that quality of equanimity is a better shield. It's a better form of protection. It's a higher form of protection. Because we start to see the world as united. We start to see the world through wisdom and through compassion. So I'll just go through the phrases that we will work through. Uh, with the equanimity practice. And I'll outline the practice. We're, we actually, we're not going to do a meditation today. Sorry to disappoint you if you were waiting for that. Uh, today is just the introduction. Tomorrow we start uh, meditating on equanimity. And uh, how this is done, if this is your first time joining me, or if not, it never really hurts to hear these instructions more than once. Uh, so how it's done is that I ring the meditation bell and then I'll guide us into the present moment experience. Generally, I do that uh, by using the sounds of the present moment. Sounds are always right now, right? You can't hear a past sound, although you might remember the amazing sound of the concert that you went to last week, uh, but you can't uh, somehow make a recording of that concert now, right? So those sounds are, are past. And you can anticipate the sound of a, of a concert that you're going to see in a week from now, but you can't get a bootleg recording of that same concert today, right? And so in just that same way, sounds ground our awareness or anchor our awareness in the here and now. So I do this through a guided meditation. We come to the sounds. And there's also this backdrop of stillness, of silence within the sense of hearing. It's there all of the time. And I get some questions about this sometimes, particularly if people live in a very loud or crowded area, they might say, I don't, I don't notice any stillness, any silence in my hearing. So if that's the case for you, imagine what your environment sounded like prior to all of that, before all of the cars were out, or if you're living in a forest before the birds were singing, before the people were talking or before the neighbor's music was playing, before any of that, before the thunder started rolling, before the birds started singing, I said that, before the cat started meowing, whatever the sounds are, where did the silence go after the sound arose? And when you really contemplate on that, you'll begin to notice that the sound doesn't go anywhere, or the silence, rather, doesn't go anywhere. 
Because silence doesn't occupy a location in space. It is the space itself. So sounds arise out of the silence. And they stay for a while. They might pretend to be very important. And then they fade back into the silence. Like that. And so what happens is that when there's a lot of sound, it really makes that stillness, that silence, uh, a little more challenging to notice. Uh, just in the same way that uh, if you walk into a room that's filled with lots of very colorful painting and tie-dye t-shirts and lots of people, it's hard to notice the space in the room, right? Our eyes and our awareness become focused on the objects. It's the same in the sense of hearing. There's always this quality of still silence within the sense of hearing. But when there's a lot of sound, or even when there's just one or two sounds, our awareness generally collapses down on those sounds, focuses on those sounds at the expense of the experience of silence. So when we meditate on the sounds, we include the field of silence as well, because they're actually uh, equally a part of the aural field. In fact, you wouldn't hear anything if there was just sound. Because sound needs the backdrop of silence to be heard, it needs something to push against to be heard. Just like you wouldn't see any star, you don't see any stars during the day. They're there, but the sunlight covers the stars. You need the night sky to see the stars. So as, as it is with sound, you need the silence, the backdrop of silence to hear anything. So we start the guided meditation. Uh, generally these days I've been starting with the sound and silence traditionally uh, one would start with the breath, that's fine too. I find uh, the Brahma Vihara's practices uh, emotionally charged, and it's easier to get into the space to work with those emotions uh, when we start from the outside coming in. So starting with the sounds and the silence, and then we come back in and we scan the body just briefly. I don't do a thorough body scan uh, for these practices simply because there isn't time. Uh, so we touch in with the sensations of the body. Again, bodily sensations are always present moment experiences. Right now my arm is itching from a mosquito bite. Ooh, that's itchy. And that's a present moment experience. It grounds me in the present moment. Can't get away from it. Now I can remember how itchy a mosquito bite was two weeks ago that I might have had, but I can't put tiger bomb on that mosquito bite now for the itchiness that I felt two weeks ago, right? Again, like the sounds, sensations are always present moment experiences. So coming into the body, feeling the body, allowing our awareness to be in the present moment. And then we bring our attention and awareness to the experience of the breath. Breath is always present moment experience as well. 
and we just stay there for a few moments. And then we offer to our own heart these very, very precious phrases of equanimity. And I say precious because we endow each phrase uh, with the preciousness of a rare, valuable gift, as if we were giving our heart uh, a very, very precious gift. And after each phrase, we'll spend about a minute or two minutes maybe visualizing what our life looks or feels like if that phrase was completely reflective of our life circumstance. And so one of the resistances that often comes up here is, oh, that'll never happen. My life, I'll never be, I'll never be able to know things just as they are. That's one of the equanimity phrases. We'll use that for an example. Things are so awful in the world right now, I'll never be able to know things as they are. I'll always want them to be different. That's resistance. And so we rest with that. Just rest. Feel what the resistance against the phrase feels like. Not trying to change it, not trying to make ourselves fit a model of equanimity that we have in our mind. Because I guarantee you, 99% of the time, the models of equanimity that we have in our mind is not equanimity. It's just another filter. These Brahma Viharas, equanimity, loving kindness, compassion, and joy, when we really inhabit those, they feel much, much greater than anything we could imagine. There's much more freedom in those qualities than is available in our imagination, in the imagination of the human mind. So if you can let those models go, offer the phrases to your heart, visualize, imagine your life unfolding according to each phrase. And when you can rest there and the resistance doesn't arise, then you'll experience equanimity like that. And so we'll just go through the phrases very quickly. The first phrase, and again, this isn't the meditation, I'm just explaining the process. Tomorrow we start the meditation practice. The first phrase, may I be free from preference and So what would the world look like if you could experience the world without harboring any sort of preference or prejudice? The second phrase, may I know things just as they are. And so what does that do for you? <laughs> How does that change your reality? If you could know things just as they are. For example, uh, my boss called. 
then the mind is, oh, my boss called. Maybe he's going to fire me, or maybe I'm going to get a promotion, or maybe they need me to finish this, or I need to call them back right now because they might need that from me. Or... And we don't, we're, not, we're not there. We're not knowing things as they are. We're anticipating what things might be. And so then we can see then how the mind brings us out of the present moment awareness, right? This phrase, may I know things just as they are. When a cold monk meditates, a meditating monk is cold. Free from preference and prejudice. The next phrase May I experience the world knowing me just as I am. Wow. And what does that do when you offer that phrase to your heart? May I experience the world knowing me just as I am. next phrase and the last phrase, may I see into whatever arises. When you drop that phrase in your heart, when you bring that gift, may I see into whatever arises. Free from our lenses of what we think should be arising. And so with this type of seeing, with this type of knowing, we are then capable of serving the present moment. We're then capable of helping much more accurately because we're not bogged down with how we, thinks, we think things should look. We're not caught in the, our emotional reactivity against what is. And when we're, we free ourselves from that reactivity, again, we have all of that energy. And then we can move forward with compassion, with loving kindness. And so I think that's all I want to say today. I hope you found uh, this introduction into equanimity uh, useful, enlightening perhaps, or at the very least, somewhat entertaining. <laughs> I'm here to help. That's why I started these series, this Facebook Live series. I really uh, just wanted to offer something to raise the vibrational frequency, uh, to offer uh, something that, well, some form of wisdom that helps me get through trying times and hopes that they might help others as well. <laughs>
So do whatever you have to do to stay safe. I used to say, wear your mask, wash your hands, practice your social distancing. Do whatever it is that you do to keep yourself and your loved ones safe. Much love, much light. I'll be back again tomorrow with a full guided meditation on equanimity practice. Be well.